0: If you, have a, if you have a prayer slip, if you'd pass that to the center aisle, uh, Craig and, or Will will pick those up and we'll pray for you this week. Also, just want to extend uh, always an invitation. If you have uh, matters that you would like um, your pastoral staff to pray over, you can email us or text us. And uh, certainly, um, I'm thankful for the ministry, the prayer ministry of this church through our texting app. And uh, would encourage you to send requests as, as you were led uh, through that important way of communicating together. I want to spend some time in prayer before we launch into Hebrews chapter 1. Uh, that will be our text this morning as we're going to look at Jesus Christ, our prophet, our priest, and our king. I thought that would be a great way to introduce this uh, Advent season. But before we look at the text of scripture, let's, let's pray together. Dear Lord Jesus Christ, we come in prayer to you today, and we thank you that you're the King of all kings and Lord of all lords. In fact, we read in the book of Revelation that a great multitude in heaven cries out, Hallelujah, salvation and glory and power belong to our God, for his judgments are true and just, and on your robe is a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. We bow before you this morning and declare our, our allegiance to you. We stand in awe of your saving work through Jesus, our Lord, who has spoken in these last days as the true prophet, who has built a bridge through, through his saving work on the cross and is our faithful priest. And Lord, you have shown that you are really our sovereign because you're King of kings and Lord of lords. We stand before you on this Christmas season and may we prepare our hearts for worship. We confess our sins to you this morning. I would think of several that have been on my own heart this week of our pride, our self-sufficiency. Lord, that you would, you would forgive us of our idolatry when we allow the things of this world to be so fixated in our minds that we worship them, whether it be money or food or entertainment or anything else. Would you cleanse us of our impurity from the, the things that we allow our eyes to see? Would you forgive us, Lord, of our prayerlessness? And I pray, coming out of this service, that we would begin afresh and anew this day and tomorrow morning by seeking you in prayer and in your word. Lord, we intercede for um, our nation. We pray, Lord, that you would be with our elected leaders. We're commanded in Scripture to pray for them, that justice would flow down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. We pray for the heart of our nation. And on so many fronts, it uh, a nation that belittles you, that ignores you, that mocks you, that scoffs at your truth. And we can't help but ask how how... How long can we survive when that goes on? So we pray for a fresh hearing of the word of God and that there would be a realization of the law of the harvest that you reap what you sow. Lord, we pray um, for the needs in our church. We pray for the needs in our community. We pray for those who have financial needs we pray, Lord, for your wisdom to be given for this coming week as we face meetings and decisions and, and, and need your help. Lord, that you would bring comfort to those who grieve, and I pray for the Myers family uh, this, this morning. We intercede for Nita and Bill as they buried their son John on Friday. We pray your comfort would come to them. We pray for those that are healing from surgeries and from wounds of the heart. We pray, Lord, that you would strengthen your church, that we would be faithful to your word, that we would be a people who are serious about pursuing you in holiness, and that your love would be expressed in every relationship in this body, and that your gospel would be on our lips. So open our eyes now to see the wonderful truth that Jesus is our prophet and priest and king, and it's in his mighty name we pray. Amen. The book of Hebrews Chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, and we come to this Advent season, another opportunity to focus our attention on the goodness, on the mercy and grace of God found in Jesus Christ. Um, When we think of Jesus' life, his earthly life began in Bethlehem's manger. Uh, It would lead to um, a life of obscurity, basically, until he reached the age of 30, and uh, his teaching ministry took on... um, Uh, Much notice as he went through Israel, as he came uh, to preach the gospel uh, to uh, Israel, and then ultimately it was spread to us. His life would end on Calvary's cross. Three days later, he would rise from the dead. Forty days later, he would ascend into heaven, and the Bible says he's coming back again. So when we come and celebrate Advent, Advent means coming He came the first time in obscurity. He will come a second time, and it'll be a global event. But we we set aside this time prior to our celebration of Christmas that God took on human flesh in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we rejoice to proclaim this message far and wide. In fact, one of our favorite Christmas carols, is joy to the world the Lord is come let earth receive her king let every heart prepare him room and heaven and nature uh, uh, sing and heaven and nature sing so this task of proclaiming the wonder of who Jesus is in the Christmas season proves to be quite a challenge in a world that has little time for Christ and little patience to look beyond the horizontal demands of this world to a culture that is trained to sing joy to them all, in a way in an Amazon package, may our focus be lifted from earth to heaven where our redemption draws near. C.S. Lewis once said, aim at heaven and you will get earth thrown in, aim at earth and you will get neither So I think Christmas is one of those occasions where we can look upward from where our redemption draws near, and the Bible helps us to renew our thoughts, to renew our minds, to form convictions, and to establish our faith on what is most important. And when we come to the message of Christmas, we're not allowed to dismiss Jesus as some cardboard Christ… When you read the claims of God's Word about Jesus Christ, it demands a verdict from us. It demands a response from us because we will be accountable to Him one way or the other. The joy of coming together as Christians in the church of Jesus Christ is that we come freely and joyfully to worship Him. We, we believe that He is the Lord of glory. We believe in what He has done on the cross. We have experienced His redemption through the new birth. And to live the Christian life is, is the passion of our hearts. Yes, we grow weary. Yes, we stumble. Yes, we fall short of God's glory. But He's a God whose grace is greater still, and we seek Him together. But one day, every knee will bow, and every, every tongue will confess to the glory of God the Father that He is Lord. It will be universally recognized. We do so freely in worship. Our text this morning, Hebrews 1, 1 through 4, Uh, really lays out for us the threefold ministry of Jesus as our prophet and priest and king. Our prophet and priest and king. Hebrews 1, verse 1 begins this way, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, catch this, He has spoken to us through His Son, God has spoken to us in these last days in a son type of revelation. He has spoken to us not through the S-U-N, but the S-O-N, his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power." After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as, as the name he, he has inherited is most excellent than theirs. So here we come to Hebrews 1. In the book of Hebrews, 13 chapters, it reads like a sermon written by someone who was is well-educated, likely a second-generation believer who was fully steeped in the Septuagint, which was the Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament, and he quotes it freely throughout. And his theme is simple. Jesus Christ is superior. He is superior. He's superior to angels. He's superior to Moses. He's superior to, to, to the Sabbath. He, in fact, He is our Sabbath rest He's superior to the old covenant provisions, and He has paved a way for uh, access to the Father. He has come to pave a new and living way that we might enter into the presence of God. And so the last few chapters close with some practical application in living out this Christ life. But this is a sermon. This is a message. And it begins with one of those... Um, Christological passages, these these passages in the New Testament that exalt Christ in such a way that we need to pause and take it in. That the baby in the manger was indeed God in the flesh and he existed from eternity past before he was born in in human flesh in Bethlehem's manger. Who is Jesus Christ? If someone were to come and put a microphone in front of your face, would you have an answer for that? I think that's part of being a witness in our generation, don't you? Who is Jesus Christ? What scripture would you point to? I pray that one you would point to from this point forward would be Hebrews 1, 1 through 4. Who is Jesus Christ? That is the question. A poorly prepared college student took an exam just before Christmas vacation. And he wasn't ready for the exam, so he wrote on his paper to the professor, only God knows the answers to these questions. Merry Christmas. (laughs) The professor wrote back on the exam, God gets 100, you get an F. I'm afraid that Christmas is that way for a lot of people. God gets 100, and they get a zero. The test of Christmas, your test today, is who is Jesus Christ? Do you know him as the infinite God-man, God in the flesh? I pray at the end of this message, you would leave rejoicing in your heart, saying, he's my, he's my prophet, he's my priest, he's my king, he's my all in all. Look what he's done for me. As we look at Hebrews 1, 1 through 4, again, this is one of those texts in the New Testament that makes statements about him. And you know, I think we should find this as Christians, whether we're talking about life or death, marriage or family, money or possessions, vocation or pleasure. The believer cannot have conversations about the details of life and ignore who Jesus is and how he has called us to live. He should bubble forth from us. It was the German Goethe who wrote, things which matter most must never be at the mercy of things which matter least. How often we build our lives on those things that don't last, and there's sinking sand upon which we build our lives. We live in a a dark world that's groping for answers, but not looking for truth. Shakespeare wrote through Macbeth, reveals his life's philosophy. Life's but a walking shadow, a poor player that struts and frets his hour upon the stage and then, he, he, and then is heard no more. It is a tale told by an idiot full of sound and fury signifying nothing. Our life is but a vapor here for a moment then gone. We don't know what a day will bring forth. What is our hope? And so, when we come to Christmas time, we celebrate, and rightfully so. But if our celebration is, is not centered in Jesus Christ, we have not proven what is excellent. Yes, we need to rejoice in the rest and the food and the family and all the good things God gives. Don't be a sour Christian around Christmas. But that's not the point. He's, those things are not the point. We must look to Christ. So here in Hebrews 1, without further chit-chat, what we notice is that it begins by saying long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke. God's a speaking God. I'm amazed in Genesis chapter 1, 32 times in those 31 verses, God is mentioned. He's blessing, He's speaking, He's commanding, He's directing, He's calling things into existence. God is a speaking God. Over 2,000 times we read in the Old Testament, Thus saith the Lord, the Lord said, the Lord God said, He's, He speaks to us through His word. He speaks through us through creation. And here we, we note two things in this text in Hebrews chapter 1 His activity in creation, His creative power, He has created all things. And we cannot help but see His fingerprint in everything that is created. He has created us. This is His world. This is my Father's world. Our God is utterly reliable. He's the upholder of all things. And so we can trust Him with our tragedies and with our failures and with our hearts. He wants us to be honest about our fears. So the story of God's um, redemption holds that He has created all things and we are ultimately accountable to Him. But in this passage, I would look at Hebrews 1. It speaks of His uh, creating all things in verse 2. Whom He appointed heir of all things, through whom also He created the world. This is mentioned uh, several times in the New Testament. In John 1, verse 2, Um It speaks of Christ being in the beginning with God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, one God, three persons. And it says of this Word becoming flesh, all things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Colossians 1, it says that all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through Him and for Him, and He is before all things, and all things hold together because of Him. Is your God that big? I pray so, because part of understanding His redeeming work is that you're created in His image and are accountable to Him. And so we see his activity in creation. We also see his activity in his redemptive work, which we'll expound in just a moment. But in the birth um, um, passage in Matthew's gospel, an angel came to Joseph and solved what a lot of young parents uh, struggle with, and that is a name for their baby. And, And the angel said, you shall call his name Jesus for he shall save his people from their sins. That's why he came. His redemptive work. Born to raise the sons of earth. Born to give them second birth. And through Christ we understand where we, where we come from. Who, who we really are and where we're going. Something C.S. Lewis said years ago. Longings that remain unmet, perhaps it's because we're made for another world. And one of the things that can surface this time of year is unrest in the, in the heart. Because we're told everywhere that this is the, the, the holiday season, the, the Christmas season is to be a time of great joy, but I'm not, I'm not experiencing that joy. I have unmet expectations, and maybe it's because you're looking for fulfillment in all the wrong places. It's because you and I were created in the image of God and we're created for another world. And we only enter that new world through the redemption of Christ. Sin has affected our ability to think right. You cannot find your way to God intellectually, you cannot find your way to God through your own reason. God comes to us in the person of Jesus Christ. It's through revelation that we come to know God. Not while I took a, a religion class at the university and um, I did, that didn't lead me anywhere. I can understand that. It doesn't, salvation doesn't come to you through intellectual reasoning. It doesn't mean you don't use your mind. That's not what I'm saying. It's not through human intellectual pursuits. For the natural man cannot understand the things of God. They're spiritually discerned through the truth of his revelation. And so these offices of Christ, Christ as our prophet, priest, and king, they really reflect um, the Old Testament offices, don't they? Prophets uh, like Nathan and Elijah and Eli- uh, Isaiah um, spoke God's Word the prophets had a unique ministry in God's redemptive history. They had a voice that spoke, Thus saith the Lord and called God's people to two things. One, to call, calling them to repentance and sometimes calling them to understand how God was going to move in the future. The prophets spoke God's word to his people. The priest, we read of Levi, the tribe of Levi, And Aaron, the first high priest. The priest offered sacrifices and prayers and praises to God on behalf of the people. And then we read of the kings, beginning with Saul, and then David, then Solomon, and then the kings of Judah and Israel. They ruled over the people as God's representatives. So these three offices were distinct, and each one of them foreshadowed the coming of Jesus Christ. Christ fulfills these three offices perfectly. As prophet, he reveals God to us and speaks God's word to us. When Jesus was baptized on the Mount of Transfiguration, heaven spoke, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. Listen to Him. Do you listen to Jesus Christ? How can I hear from Him? Read the Word. Read God's Word. Rest in His promises. As a priest, Jesus both offers a sacrifice to God on our behalf and is Himself the sacrifice. And as King, He rules over the church and over the universe as well. So let's get into these three offices. Uh, Let's give our attention to this for the next few moments. And may we worship the Lord through His Word. Our prophet, He is God's full and final Word. There will never be another Savior. There will never be another Redeemer. I remember reading years ago Charles Swindoll saying, this earth will have many earthquakes to come, but it'll never have a truthquake. It'll never have a time where God says, okay, I'm going to change it all up. This isn't going to play out the way I wanted it to. No, no, indeed. God has spoken to us in these last days through His Son. Jesus Christ is the full and final word to us. To prepare the way for King Jesus, God the Father sent a prophet named John whose life and message prepared the way. In fact, we read in Luke's account, John the Baptist was filled with the Holy Spirit even in his mother's womb, completely consecrated and set apart to call a wayward people back. Usually when uh, a preacher is setting up camp and drawing crowds, it's within a city. John went in the wilderness and they flocked to him. He was a voice crying in the wilderness, preparing a way for the Lord. You look at the other prophets throughout the Old Testament, they were peculiar men of God, a peculiar breed. Noah was a preacher of righteousness whose project was an ark. Isaiah, in Isaiah 20, God called him to walk partially naked before his people for three years. Who's that walking around the property out there? Oh, that's our pastor. And his life became a a message to Israel. You see how my prophet's walking among you? You're going to be taken into exile just like that unless you repent and turn to me. And then how about Hosea, who in obedience to God took for himself a prostitute with a wonderful name, Gomer. And she was unfaithful to her, her vows. And through the pain of adultery, God says, this is what it's it's like for me, my people. You are an adulterous people. You're an unfaithful people. These prophets were totally surrendered to God. They possessed their voice, uh, their voice, God possessed their voice box and their lives. And they called God's people to be prepared for the coming of the Lord. John the Baptist was the last of the Old Testament prophets calling for repentance. The Old Testament spoke of one that would come in Deuteronomy 18, that one would, would, a prophet would come just like Moses. That was fulfilled in Jesus. Peter, in fact, preaches that in Acts 3 when he said, Moses said, the Lord will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from among my people. And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaim these days, you are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your fathers. God has spoken finally through his son. Do you hear him? Have you responded to his call? How do I do that? Whenever the word of God is preached, you hear the Lord Jesus Christ. You hear the Lord. We need this revelation that God has brought from his prophets because we're darkened in our understanding and Jesus is the ultimate fulfillment. He's the definitive word. And they recognized Jesus as a peculiar prophet. No one ever spoke like this man, they said. At the end of the Sermon on the Mount... It was said of Jesus, he speaks as one having authority, not like our scribes and our Pharisees. Prophets come to inform, Jesus came to transform. When you hear the word of God proclaimed and read and presented to you, you hear the voice of God. And you know, I think about giving an account before the Lord on that last day. Every one of us will stand before God to give an account of our life. The issue on that day is, do I have an advocate? Do I have a Savior pleading my case? But on that last day, I think every preacher will have to face, did you, did you really preach that? Did you really preach my word? And to listeners, did you really heed what was preached to you? You did not reject the pastor. You rejected the Lord. Christ is the preacher. He's the worship leader we look to, and it's all about Him. He is our great prophet. Would you listen to what He says to you? Second, He was and is our priest. He's the only access to God. A priest was a go between. There's an interesting Latin word, pontifex, which means bridge builder. Jesus Christ is God's pontifex bridge over the troubled waters of our sin, is a beautiful picture, actually. He is our priest, and the writer of Hebrews goes to great effort to communicate his priestly function. In fact, in Hebrews 4, let's turn there quickly, if you would. Hebrews 4, 14 through 16… Since then we have a great high priest, this is Hebrews 4.14, we we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, that's who our high priest is. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. Aren't you glad of that? Jesus our priest, he sympathizes with our weaknesses. What else does he do? Well, in every respect, he's been tempted like we are, yet without sin. That's why he should be the one I worship. Let us then with confidence draw near to God. Let's draw near to the throne of grace that we might receive mercy and find grace in a time of need. We have a sympathetic and compassionate priest who intercedes on our behalf before the throne of God above in fact, in chapter 7, it says that he's able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for us. Priest offered intercession and prayer as well as sacrifices. We're to draw near to God through him for he has paid for our sins once and for all. And then in Hebrews 10 verse 19 Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, what curtain is that? That veil that was torn when he was crucified, signifying that we have access to God through his shed blood. Let us hold fast our confession. He is our great high priest. I read this week in my study Um, This insight, if something is going to get clean, something else has to get dirty. Christ dirtied himself, filthied himself, that we may be cleansed by the power of his blood. Somebody will pay, either we will or we will receive the payment that has been made on our behalf He made the payment. How do we know that? Well, back to Hebrews 1. It says um, in in verse um, 2, excuse me, verse 3, after making purification for our sins, how did He do that? Through the offering of Himself. He made purification for our sins, and He sat down at the right hand of the Majesty on high. What does that mean? Well, in the temple, um, there were no chairs, Why do you suppose that was? Because the priest's work was never done. So when it says that Jesus was seated at the right hand of the majesty on high, this is a picture that he accomplished completely and fully the work of our redemption. And to be seated means it was received by the Father. He was given a place of prominence in the presence of God as God the Son Well done. Redemption accomplished perfectly. He was seated at the right hand of the throne of God. That means there is no other way to know God's forgiveness except through Jesus Christ. Think if there were. Think if there were many avenues to God's forgiveness, God's salvation. What does that say to to what Christ accomplished in His earthly life? If you could get to God any other way except through the cross, what does that say about His death? Not much. Why bother? I'm going to go this way. And we're not allowed to do that. Oh, you can deceive yourself. You could say, like many, there are many ways to God. There's a way that seems right for me, and in the end, it, it leads to destruction. If we do not grasp the immensity of our sin, we lapse to justification by doing our best. And Christ has taken all our ugliness and given the wonder of his righteousness. He's our great bridge builder. There's one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. Prophet, priest, last one, king, king. He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. That's king language. He's a king who reigns, which may be a stumbling block for you. I don't see his kingdom reigning. I can't look where he's set up a kingdom and it's thriving. Well, it's not a kingdom that you see with your eyes. Remember when Jesus stood before Pilate, when Pilate said, what is truth? And Jesus said to him, I have a kingdom that's not of this world. It's a kingdom you enter into with the open arms of faith, trusting that Jesus Christ is all these things and more, and that one day our faith will be sight. We have entered into an invisible kingdom. When he says, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, he's not talking about an earthly kingdom, he's talking about a heavenly kingdom, a spiritual kingdom. Jesus Christ reigns. He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. He is the God who sits outside of time, who has come into our mess (laughs) and took it fully that we might be cleansed forever. When we turn to him, we turn to the one in whom there's no one greater. I've said to you many on many occasions um, that my favorite title for the Lord Jesus Christ is that He's King of kings and Lord of lords. I, I say that in large part because of how that's expressed in, in Revelation 19 in the Hallelujah Chorus uh, as it details the second coming of Christ. He's the King of kings and Lord of lords. When we turn to Him, we turn to no one of whom... Is, is anyone greater? The discouraging thing about being a human being is that we always find someone who's greater, don't we? Somebody who's smarter, somebody who's more athletic, somebody who's more educated, more accomplished. But all records are temporary. Christ has no equal. No one will ever break his record. And when I think about what it means to be king of kings and sovereign God, he will never be overthrown. Sometimes that's hard to believe when we read the news, isn't it? But he's not being overthrown. No one will come on the scene who has higher rank or greater power. He reigns over a kingdom that is not seen with my eyes, but one day will be. We enter his kingdom forever an enduring kingdom by faith in him alone. And the Bible concludes with evil being overcome once and for all. And the Bible ends with the redeemed people gathered around his throne to experience life as it was intended to be experienced. So the question is, how can I be among that number? How can I be among the redeemed? And the answer is to receive... Jesus, as your prophet and priest and king, as your only savior, by faith in Christ now acknowledging and agreeing and actually trusting him to redeem you, I take great comfort that he's our king because he experiences no limitations or frustrations. We do, don't we? But our God's not to be pitied. He's never at a loss. He bows to no one. He knows nothing of defeat and he's invincible. He will overcome. That's why Moses could say to the Israelites as they're pinned against the Red Sea, stand back and watch the salvation of the Lord. That's why David could run through the valley of Elah with a stone, believing that God was going to take this stone and drop the giant. He's the king of all kings and Lord of all lords. And so what does that mean for us as we come to the conclusion of this service, this message, this first Sunday of Advent? What does this mean for us? It means that we need to confess our commitment to Him. It means that we're to renew our love for Him. It means we're to surrender to His authority with joy. Maybe you've been chafing under the under the commands of the Lord in your life, you're chafing, Your circumstances aren't the way you want them to be in your life, that you would surrender to his authority with joy. May the joy of his salvation permeate our lives and to commit all that we are and hope to be to him, to die to ourselves, our own will and way and follow the path set forth by his word. He is a king who reigns. He is the king who's the source of life he is the king that sustains us he holds all things together by the word of his mouth he can be trusted is he your prophet and priest and king is he your lord is he your savior i pray so would you bow with me right now as we get ready to conclude this worship service the story of god god's redemption comes to us in this way, that God's taken the initiative. Advent means coming. God took the initiative in coming to us in Christ. Redemption story is not, as many portray it, namely that humanity is scanning the universe, trying to find God if there is one. No, the message of the Bible is the reverse of that, that God has come seeking to save the lost, If God has come to us through Jesus, that our ignorance might be enlightened by his revelation of himself, that our sin might be cleansed and our destiny might be secured. Isn't our only rightful response to come to God through Christ? Isn't it only right to come to him on his terms? Have you ever come to God through Jesus? Would you come now? This is an incredible age of grace. This message you're hearing now is God's grace to you. It's the ark of our salvation. It's the way to life. Be reconciled to God now by faith in Christ. Turn from your sins and receive him by faith. And follow in obedience, the commands he has set forth in his word. Lord, I thank you for this threefold office that seems to tie the old covenant with the new that you have spoken to us through your son. He's our bridge, our great high priest who forever lives to make intercession for us. And Lord, you're our king. Over all the kingdoms of this this world, we look to you, knowing that you reign forever and ever and ever. Lead us now in this time of decision, in this time of commitment, in Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together as we sing.